0: it isn't you That keeps my ghost from leaving too But I don't miss you half as much As you made me think I was When I could see myself the way you do And I could almost see myself in you could almost see myself in you this time I'm not coming back this time I-
1: listening to Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is Durf, back Durf. Uh, Durf was on oh, I think it was almost four years ago to talk about his book, uh, Punk Rock and Trailer Parks. Um, thank you for coming back, Durf. How My are you pleasure. doing? My pleasure. My pleasure. Doing well. Good. Now, your new book, My Friend Dahmer, um, a memoir of your relationship with the uh, Notorious serial killer. Um, I understand you've been doing a lot of press for this. Yeah, it's
2: been it's been uh, it's been pretty crazy, and in fact, uh, it just uh, popped up on the bestseller list today. So I just got word of that like an hour ago.
1: Mazeltov. Thank, Thank you. How's it been for you? Um, that kind of challenge, because you've been working on this book for years, yeah. and not having a lot of success finding um a real venue for it and now it's out and it's all anyone wants to talk about with you.
2: Right. I know. Well it's kind of a validation, isn't it? Years ago, even before I was doing graphic novels, I mean I, I knew that this was an incredible story and if I told it well that I thought it would be something something to read. And I was right, you know, I mean that makes me feel good. Um, to all those people, you know, all those people that passed on it, well, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it really was a stroke of luck, because had I had I actually put it out earlier, it wouldn't be anywhere near as good as it is now. So, you know, I needed to go off and and really kind of learn the craft of graphic novels before I tackled this. So I'm glad I did.
1: How do you mean that, um, specifically? Because you'd been doing comic strip for... You, for Quite a number of years yeah. um, the city well I
2: mean <laughs> I thought it would be easier to make that transition from short form like a comic strip four panels to a longer form graphic narrative and man was I wrong on that I mean <laughs> I don't know if it was arrogance or, or just naivete or what but it, it took a lot longer for me to figure things out and really uh... Learn how to tell stories in a longer form and in a more detailed form. Because you know, with a book, you have just it's just open-ended; you can go as long or as short as you want, and you can do a lot more things. And it just it was I I wasn't ready, so I needed to I needed to lay some groundwork.
1: Now, given the kind of intensity of the topic, I feel like part of it um, is also finding the way you want to tell it, and kind of having a comfort with that.
2: Well, you know, I, I, I settled on the tone pretty early. Um, I mean, the history of the book is, is that I started doing some short stories in the mid-90s, 95, after after he was killed in prison. I felt some compulsion for some reason to get some stuff down. Before that, it had just existed in sketchbooks and notes. Um, and so, right from the beginning, the tone was pretty much the same as, as the book now. I think it's a little more sophisticated, but... You know, I, I hit upon. That. I think I hit upon that pretty early.
1: The book, in one part, it's the memoir of the friendship or the the knowing of Dahmer during high school, but it's also kind of a telling of, I guess, a generational experience too.
2: Yeah, sure. The time and place. Yeah, very much so.
1: How does that feed into it for you, as kind of really creating this bigger picture?
2: Well, it's crucial. I mean, you know, because this is a period piece, um, and I think that we are all a product of our uh, of you know our hometowns and of our our eras that we come of age. So that's that goes hand in hand. And I thought it was important to tell that. Um, I think it adds a lot of texture to the work. You know, you kind of get a sense of because there's some stuff that is is—it's almost unexplainable now, you know, like how we got away with some of the drinking, for example, and the lackadaisical attitude toward that. But I, I tried to really get across it. It was a very different time.
1: For listeners that may not be familiar, this includes myself, um, <laughs> what would 1970s, um, not quite suburban life in Ohio have been like?
2: Well, it was it was pretty sleepy. Um, you know, it was a nice place to grow up. It, it was a small town, very pretty, pretty town, um, rolling hills south of uh, Cleveland, uh, north of Akron, and really removed from these kind of clanking rust belt cities. It was it was, you know it's beautiful, beautiful landscape. Um, it was a town where you know, lots of people knew who you were. I mean, you'd walk into the library, the librarian would know who you were. You'd walk into the corner drugstore, they'd recognize you. It was that kind of town. Um, There wasn't a lot happening there. It was an unremarkable town, even though it produced some remarkable people. Um, Jeffrey Dahmer aside, uh, it was a great place to grow up, but uh the the high school itself, the school system you know there was it yeah there were some social pressures that maybe other places didn't have there was uh a real uh sort of rich kid poor kid thing going on um you know there were it, there was a lot of bullying a lot of uh you know not eh, not terribly i mean i can't really say that more than there is now, I would say because people are more aware of it now but um You know, I I thought at the time I was having a fairly miserable time, but looking back on it I think, well, that was mostly me. You know, I really wasn't having that bad a time. When I think about it, I think, you know, I I had a lot of fun there too. So, I think it was chokingly normal is the way i describe it.
1: It's interesting, you made a comment there about kind of everyone knowing who you were in the corner stores and schools. Um, but one of the really striking things of the book is the anonymity of Dahmer's experience of how he really just fell off everyone's radar
2: oh you mean after he started after after high school ended yeah well even during yeah.
1: high school in a lot of ways it seems like with well, his oh, sure. extracurricular activities
2: yeah I mean you gotta remember this guy was, was missing chunks of his humanity from a pretty early age if if it was ever all there, and that's up for debate, and he shed more as he got older, mm-hmm. so um, yeah, his experience was anything but normal, and he was probably, probably, very probably, certifiably insane by the time he was, you know, 17. So I, I don't know that anonymity is the right word. I think he was just so looking uh, inward so much because you know that's. everything was just happening inside him that that, that's where that came from
1: You know, it's funny, I've been reading I've been kinda of looking at your interviews and I'm trying to think about this in a way that isn't repetitive for no, you. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I'm really I'm wondering when you look back through this time and kind of through the events, what how is this kind of reapproach your own history or kind of reanalysis of where you've come from?
2: Well, it already happened, you know. I mean the events of july 1991 kind of redefined uh my entire personal history of that time you know it just echoed back and and, uh gave everything not everything but everything associated with jeff certainly this whole new utterly chilling meaning because you know at that point which we didn't have before suddenly we had clarity and it was like wow that's what he was thinking when he was doing this stuff and you know that's It kind of messes with your head for a little bit. But keep in mind, this its 21 years ago, so I've had an awful long time to work through whatever issues I had. Um, I think I'm pretty clear-headed about everything right now.
1: When you initially found out about what he had done, um, what were some of those thoughts that kind of jumped through and kind of, like, immediate reflections on history? You know, the... the, uh... I mean, the
2: first month or so was just such a uh, strange experience that I just kind of staggered around in disbelief. I mean, not because of what, not just the news events that were happening and the revelations that kept coming out, each more, you know, ghastly than the next, but because the media, virtually worldwide, had, you know, zeroed in on me. <laughs> and what was... uh It was really, uh, I I just kind of lurched around like a drunken sailor for a while. I mean, it was dodging media. I was trying to work with uh, the paper I was working with at the time to cover the the story and and then trying to process all this. It was just, it's all a blur from that period, really. Not a pleasant time
1: (laughs) at all. When you were researching this book and talking to your friends from that Mm -hmm. time and the people in the community... Um, Do you think your common experience was what kind of helped gain you a lot of the trust and be able to have these conversations? Oh, sure. Well, I'm still
2: friends with a lot of these guys. The guys in the book, uh, the so-called Dahmer Fan Club, this small band of band nerds that uh, Uh. took down... Oh, shit. God damn it. Sorry about that. I forgot that. (laughs) Um...
1: No, where were we? <laughs> um, start at the question of um, kind of being able to connect with people with common.
2: Oh, right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it, 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 I'm still friends with all these guys, so it, it's it wasn't hard at all. I mean, I've never lost touch with these. You know, my inner circle at high school, I, I've stayed very close to. So, um, you know, we just commiserated... Uh, Right off the bat, and they knew that I would probably do something with it. And actually, they've all been—they've all most of them have been really helpful about that. That's really the advantage of uh, someone doing a memoir like this. I'm not a huge fan of memoir, truth be told, um, but if the story is really great, I am. And in this case, there's really no other way to do it, obviously, since I'm a part of the story. But what it the advantage of, of, of being involved with the story, and again, of that small town, is that everybody knows me. I mean, it's not like I'm a New York Times reporter coming in, knocking on someone's door and saying, hey, talk to me about Dahmer. You know, I'm that nice I'm that nice boy. How's your mother? You know, that sort of thing. So I'm able to talk to people very casually about stuff, and there were a lot of people who didn't even know they were being interviewed, you know? I mean, I was just, the, maybe the conversation would turn. For Dahmer at some point as it often did and you know they'd tell me something I, I hadn't heard before and I'd write it down and that was the, that was the extent of the interview so over the pro- period of years you know you amass a huge amount of material
1: What were some new things that came up during that process that had surprised <clears throat> you? Um,
2: how no one was really closer to him than we were as far as friends go, you know, I always thought he had must have had some other friends who were there were a couple other like damaged guys who you know were hanging out with him, but they all kind of lost touch with him too. Um, and how really just how isolated he was that surprised me and. Uh, some stuff about his... Well, I mean, yeah, I don't want to give that away. That's in the book, so you're going to have to read that. <laughs> there is a great revelation I came across, but I, yeah, I don't want to give that away.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget, folks, the book is uh, My Friend Dahmer by right, right. There we go. For the fine folks at Abrams. Um, and I think this is one of their first one of their first couple of like full graphic novel not doing art book yeah, they do. You. Yeah, they put out
2: great stuff. Um, yeah, it's been a real pleasure working with them. I have to say, it's it's been an amazing experience. Um, the level of editing has has uh, been really terrific. Um, not just the copy editing, but my editor, Charlie Cockman, uh, really made some suggestions that improved the book. So I'm I'm very pleased with the whole experience.
1: I'm wondering about that having to like take all this information and really trim it down to be this one book?
2: Well, it wasn't too hard because as I was putting it together, um, I mean, it really kind of started with this timeline that was just a text file, you know, and I would plug things in and try to figure out where things went, and that kept building and building over the course of 10 years, 15 years maybe, and that timeline really kind of became the footnotes that you see at the end, so they actually came first as I was figuring out you know, cross-referenced also with the writing I did in thumbnail form. So, uh, as a timeline, as a story built, the timeline built with it. So, it it all just kind of came together pretty easily. I mean, I knew the story. You know, I know where it starts. I know where it ends, and I knew the major points along the way. It was just you know working out the details in between. It was uh, took some time.
1: What are some other similar type works that you looked at for influence on working on a book like this? Mm, uh, none. None.
2: None. none? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I really don't. You mean other graphic
1: novels? Other graphic novels, or even other <clears throat> other types of. Um, um,
2: you know, I really don't read a lot of comics. Uh, that's kind of a horrible thing to say in a comic site, but um, <laughs> I like making them. You know. Um, There have been periods in my life where I have read a lot, but um, right now I like making them a lot more than I like, like reading them, and I like being on my own and not really being, you know, directly influenced by somebody. Having said that, there's a lot of great graphic novels out there. I mean, I'd make the argument that we're right now in the golden age of graphic novels, because every month there's, you know, a dozen new works that come out that just look amazing. But, um, so if you're a reader... Of graphic novels. If you're a fan, now enjoy it because now now's the time. Uh, that also makes it you know kind of hard to to g- have something stand out of the of the crowd from a creative standpoint. So uh, you know it's a challenge, but I, it's it's a great time to be making these things.
1: I was really surprised, or maybe not surprised, just annoyed um, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> by one of the pe- you'd posted a thing about uh someone who was really angry about even the existence of the book and it seems especially because it was oh, right. in comic form and oh yeah, yeah 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 and i just wonder if you could speak to that cuz it's I mean, it's um, yeah. interesting this like well you really haven't had this shift
2: yeah everybody brings their baggage you know to a review or a news story there've only been a couple i mean most of the reviews have been really amazing uh, rave reviews, and that's that's also very gratifying. Um, there've been a couple, and there's one guy that started in. I won't even mention the uh, the uh, place he works for. Why give him Why give him <laughs> the hits? But uh, he started off with a rant on graphic novels in general, nonfiction graphic novels. He just it was pretty obvious he thought they were just lowbrow, worthless crap. And you know where do you go from there? You know I, I reject that off out of hand, as I'm sure you do as I'm sure all your listeners do. It's like, you know, this isn't Archie and Jughead, you know? (laughs) This is serious graphic storytelling. It's It's been going on for years and there's been a lot of amazing books done in this form and it's a perfectly legitimate form to tell a serious story and I would make the argument that there is no other way to tell this story in this kind of detail than with graphic narrative. It's an incredibly detailed Way of telling a story, and you can get in so much accuracy in so many ways um, and if you don 't think it 's legitimate, then don 't read it you know <laughs> that 's my advice
1: Spe- um, looking at the art and the storytelling and utilizing it being a comic, one of the my favorite pages was the one where he had just chopped up a fish,
2: yeah, sure,
1: and um, you 're really able to kind of evoke that. <coughs> kind of menacingness to him right. I'm wondering about that kind of storytelling techniques of like how you want to illustrate this and how you want to portray Donner. the character yeah
2: um, you know I, I, well he had a very uh, blank expression most of the time and I worked hard to kind of get that across um, at times I would make his glasses he wore wire rims they kind of make them opaque so you couldn't even see his eyes to really kind of reinforce that is nobody could read this guy. Nobody could see what was going on in his head for obviously good reasons because horrible things were going on in there. So I wanted to visually mimic that. At times I'll put his face in shadow, which admittedly is kind of an dramatic flourish, but he was a shadow to most people. So, I mean, these are the types of things that I would use to, to portray him.
1: Why don't you tell, tell us about what... Sixteen-year-old Dahmer was like, "What's it? If we were to meet in person, sixteen? Yeah. Um. He
2: was really starting to, uh. Go off the rails at sixteen. He, he started. Uh. He was a very quiet guy, but um. uh, He walked kind of like a robot. I mean, he always looked like he was awkward in the world." he's a big guy by that point he was working out obsessively with weights so he was built like a linebacker I mean he had big arms, big chest um, he's about six foot blonde hair, good looking guy uh, at that time um, smart guy that I've heard or read uh, that his IQ was you know 130, 132, something like that so he was, his dad was a chemist so he was a smart guy but he was starting to really kind of devolve at that point Um, it happened fast he went from just being strange say at fifteen that would have been like uh... the ninth grade and when we came back in tenth grade suddenly he was a lot weirder and then from tenth to eleventh he got really really strange uh, he started drinking uh early on in uh, junior year, so he would have still been 16, and by drinking, I mean binge drinking, and mm-hmm. this is the really remarkable part of this whole story, uh, you know, a fifth of, fifth of liquor at a time, uh, he'd smell of booze at 8 in the morning, and that really affected him because, you know, it, it just added a whole layer of really creepy sort of aura of doom around this guy. Um, that a lot of people picked up on and people began distancing distancing themselves from him even more so it was you know just a process of steadily getting worse and worse if you're asking when he was more or less normal I would say probably in eighth grade is when he was at his best Mm -hmm. he was just a quiet nerdy kid then but you know he was still
1: he was still
2: fairly human and it was all downhill from there
1: and you make a lot of references uh a lot of to do with a lot of the um one part the kind of self-destructive home life and the other part the kind <coughs> of the, the self-destructive home life well his mother well yeah
2: his mom had his mom had problems um well she wasn't i wouldn't say self-destructive I mean, she certainly had her problems um yeah she had a couple stints in a mental ward she suffered from depression. Um, she was actually, you know, having said all that, I mean, she—I remember she was a nice lady. Uh, she was damaged, but you know, there were a lot of, there were a lot of moms who were damaged, you know, in the suburbs. I mean, it's it's not that unusual. There were some who had, you know, were alcoholics. There were some who were popping pills. or others who were depressed. I mean, it's you know, um, her problems were maybe a little more extreme early on, and then they got better and then the marriage fell apart and that was you know that was the big that was the big nasty to do that really kind of propelled jeff toward the edge
1: you also see the his challenges with sexual yeah sexuality as kind of another half to that almost
2: could be um you know i i was not aware of his sexuality in any way i mean in fact i never thought about it um there were some guys some people, guys and girls, in high school who, you know, were fairly obviously gay. Um, And some of these people went on to come out, and others turned out to be straight. You know, that's how it works. Um, Dahmer, I never thought twice about. I mean, you know, he he didn't date anybody, but so what, neither did I. I mean, that wasn't because of my sexual preference. That was because there weren't any girls who were interested in me. So, I mean, I just assumed that you know, he was in the same boat. I uh, never really thought about it. Um, you know, the premise of the book, <clears throat> my friend Dahmer, uh, the parameters I put on the story are: it's either stuff that I knew, stuff that I saw, or stuff that I at least heard a rumor about. Um, like his mom's mental problems. I mean, I had heard rumors about those at school. But one exception I made to that was I have a very brief. Scene uh, discussing his sexuality. And I did that because I thought it was so important that I had to slip it in there. But um, that's the only time I, I broke that rule. So it, to answer your question, I, I mean, his sexuality in my mind, you know, I, I really was not aware of it at all. <clears throat> did that answer your question?
1: Yeah. Yeah. it did. I
2: forgot what the question was, to be honest. <laughs> Sometimes uh, you get into these answers and you just sort of lose your way. That's okay.
1: That's kinda how it goes, especially if you've been doing a lot of interviews. Oh yeah. You kinda gotta go with the the groove of it. Um One of the big things you really touch on as well is um a kind of neglectfulness of just no one really catching what was going on with them. The adults, yeah. Yeah. Sure.
2: Yeah, I think it's a big part. And, um, you know, I I didn't really want to come down, and some people have interpreted this way, and uh, I didn't really want to come down at hard on his parents um, necessarily, though certainly mistakes were made. Um, But just the the adult world in general, not anyone in specific, but almost, Mm -hmm. you know, across the board, talking teachers, principals, administrators, and especially in the case of... The latter ones, people who were actually trained to recognize, you know, kids who were falling off the rails. And they, did, they did absolutely nothing. Uh, cops, I mean, it, all around. It, it really is kind of mind-boggling how many people missed the signs. And... Um, that's still a head scratcher to me. I don't I don't get it. I don't think that it would happen necessarily that way today. I think that some of his behavior would definitely be red flagged. Um, whether the outcome would be the same, I, I you know I can't I can't say.
1: What kind of mark do you think he left on the community? Dahmer? Yeah. Uh very little really. Uh, I don't think people really think
2: you know there's a, there's a lot of turnover in in small towns anymore uh, particularly our generation previous generations tended to stay around a lot more but by the time we came of age you know at the end of the 70s recession which had so dramatically changed small towns or uh, rust belt towns like Akron and Cleveland there you really couldn't stay especially Akron Akron was just devastated I mean, it was once the capital of the tire industry and uh, you know, you had all these great jobs in the tire factory. And I'm actually the first adult male in my family that didn't work for a rubber company in like 100 years. And that wasn't an option, not that I really wanted to do that. It just wasn't an option, those jobs were gone. So our generation reached age and just scattered. Mm-hmm. They just spread out all over the country and all over the world. And um, I'm not saying it's good or bad, I'm just saying that's that's what happens. So there's really not that direct tether to Dahmer or our generation. There's only you know a handful of people who are left who remember him. His house is still there, <laughs> um, and the school, of course, you know the school doesn't really like to talk about these things. I'm sure I'm sure they're not going to be happy with me. Uh, I'm sure they're not happy with me.
1: How do you feel about that? Well, you know,
2: that's the breaks. Uh, yeah. What can you do?
1: I would, uh, I would be perfectly fine with that.
2: I, I bear no ill will toward the school. You know, as I said, I had a pretty good time. Um, actually, my picture's hanging on the wall over there. I'm in their hall of fame. If they haven't ripped it down with their bare hands, <laughs> <laughs> which is a possibility, I suppose. I should probably check in.
1: <coughs> now. After this book, the um, majority of your other work is very comical. Right. Um, and this was a big departure for you. Yeah. Are you feeling the need to go back into the comical? Or uh, have you I thought may. about yeah, other I serious may. work?
2: Well, you know, wherever I go, I, I'll still be doing, you know, my work. And it'll still be one of my books. So. Uh, whatever I tackle I hope and now hopefully I have a much larger audience that I drag with me so you know I have a couple concepts I'm kicking around I haven't really decided on one yet um and I'm not really worried about it Um, Mm I it's I when I entered into this final run at this project I knew you know there was no doubt in my mind that this is gonna be my best known work and in a way, that's a drag, because as you're right, it's nothing like the rest of my body of work. But on the other hand, it's better to have a best-known work than to not have one. So you just have to be grateful for that and, and move forward.
1: It's always funny when that happens with folks. It's like, Chester Brown did Louis Riel, right. and he was, you know, that got a lot of attention, especially in Canada. And then his, other, his book after that, The Paying For It, is all about his experience with women's sex trade. All um, oh, right. right yeah. <laughs> Which, <laughs> that, I don't think I'll go. I don't think I'll go that. Uh, <laughs> but it's 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 interesting how people kind of they they knew him because of this one book, and this other book comes out, and they're just not sure how to process this. Right. Not right. that you'd be doing anything in that. No, no, no. Extreme. I'm not using.
2: I'm not using hookers. Yeah. You know. <laughs> interested. In, that was a pretty interesting book, but uh,
1: my God. <laughs> He's, he's got cojones I'll so give him that <laughs> and we've seen them <laughs> yeah yeah, that's true, <laughs> that's true. Oh. well thanks for taking the time to chat with me today Durf oh it's my pleasure and uh, congrats on having the book out it's, yeah uh,
2: I'll, uh, I'll actually be up in Canada in, uh, in a few weeks
1: yeah you're going to be at the Toronto Comic Art Festival Comic Arts Fest yeah I'm really looking forward to that it's a it's a grand show I will this will be the first year in several years I won't be in attendance unfortunately uh, yeah, bummer but you'll enjoy yourself I'm sure I will is there any other places you'll be appearing at the next while oh jeez yeah mocha
2: um, in New York of course I'll be in New York for like a week and then you know they're piling up I I can't even keep track of them all it's not I'll be making the con rounds I'm sure hopefully not too many but um, SPX. I don't think I'm going to Ape. Again, the West Coast is kind of tough, but everything on the East Coast and Mid-America will be at. That's worth going to, that is. Yeah. Not Wizard World stuff or
1: anything like that. but <laughs> They can sit you next to Louis Fregno.
2: Yeah, right, right. Well, you really haven't lived until you've been in a urinal stall next to a guy dressed as a Klingon.
1: <laughs> and on that note, thank you very much, sir. Pleasure.
3: Take a little walk to the edge of town And go across the track Where the viaduct looms like a bird of doom as ships and craft, where secrets lie in the border fires and the humming wise yeah, man, you know you're never coming back. Across the square, across the bridge, past the mills, past the stacks. On a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand.